Scary Story Podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, and experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Arkea, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. There are many things around us that have the ability to frighten us. A spooky house, an angry entity, or a deadly creature. But we never suspect that the most terrifying thing might come from deep within. The most demonic, dangerous creatures can be hiding within the human body, within our own minds. First, keeping secrets can be killer, followed by stuck in purgatory. Then, the evil, everlasting hunger. Finally, in our featured story, the demon comes at night. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts, our weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Embody the horror. They say everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it takes a while to make sense, and then, once you know, it can still make for some difficult decisions. Like in this tale written by Janine Pipe. Summer scratched at her arm again, desperately trying to concentrate on the math lesson and not the searing sensation rippling under her skin. She was eternally grateful it was sweater weather. She managed to make it through the day without event and headed home, head down, keeping to herself as always. She was good at being invisible. Once home, she read the note pinned to the fridge stating her mom would be late and her brother had football practice and then pizza with his buddies after. Good. That meant she didn't have to worry about her family for a while. She slunk up the stairs and into the bathroom. Slowly and carefully, she peeled off the sweater that kept her secret hidden. The scales had gotten bigger, undulating under the fragile layers of what was left of her skin. She had no idea what it costed or why it was just her arms that were afflicted. She only knew implicitly that she couldn't do anything about it, and she mustn't tell anyone. Sometimes, when a scale had broken through, she'd barely notice for a time. Then a fresh one would start to form, and the incessant itching and burning would begin all over again. That was the worst part. Sometimes she stared at her arms, wishing that if she had to put up with such a thing, 
why they couldn't have been pretty iridescent scales, so she would have looked like a mermaid. Still horrifying, but at least that would have been better than the vomit-colored, thick, rock-hard, crocodile-type skin she now wore like long, fingerless gloves. She had had them for just over a year, enduring weird looks as she continued to wear long, baggy sleeves during the peak of summer when it happened. It was a late fall evening, and she spent way longer at the library than she'd originally intended. Being invisible to your classmates at least afforded her plenty of study time, and she was well on track to the grades she needed for MIT. She was hurrying home and dodged into an alleyway that would act as a shortcut. The voice in the back of her head reminded her of the muggings, and worse, in this area, but she carried on regardless. Her mother's annoyance at a ruined dinner and concern for summer safety weighing more heavily on the risk factor scale. She thought she saw something out of the corner of her eye and sped up, clutching her purse close to her. She wasn't sure whether she could look back over her shoulder or not when she banged into something or someone hard enough to knock the breath out of her for a moment. As she took a moment to balance herself, a fist shot out and connected with her stomach. This time she fell to the ground in pain and fear. Give me your purse and any money in your pockets, came a gruff voice from the darkness as she felt a boot connect with her ribs. She began to cry as she reached for her purse, when suddenly she was paralyzed by the strangest sensation, as if an army of ants were moving over her hands. She looked down at them in the poorly lit alley and gasped. The scaled skin from her arms had peeled off, escaped the arms of her sweater and coat and were now acting as one body, swarming towards her assailant. He didn't see it coming, not that he would have believed his eyes anyway. The hard scales had made a sort of long, thin, snake-like entity, and once they'd crawled up his body at lightning speed, they now wrapped themselves around his neck, squeezing and squeezing into the man, gave his final wheeze, and he dropped to his knees, dead. As the scales released themselves from his neck, his body flopped to the side, his head landing by Summer's side. She saw the capillaries in his eyes had burst. Slowly, she got to her feet, experiencing a short yet searing pain. When she rolled up her sleeve, the scales were back. She picked up her purse and sidestepped around the dead thief. As she jogged home, she wasn't entirely sure how to feel or what this now meant. Was she some sort of superhero now? Was she meant to harness and use the scales for good? But that sort of thing was only in the movies. Summer didn't know exactly what she was going to do moving forward, but she did feel a little better knowing she had constant protection. Thank you so much, Janine, for writing this story for us. Listener, how far would you go to keep a secret? Would it give you a sense of power? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you awoke to a nightmare, would you believe it was real or would you try your hardest to fall back to sleep? Our next story tries to answer that question in a tale by our featured writer, L. Marie Wood, an award-winning author of psychological horror, who won the Golden Stake Award for her novel, The Promise Keeper. The numbers spun. They spun. Right before my eyes, and I know I'm groggy. I know I'm having trouble waking up this morning, but I know that's not right. When I woke and look at my alarm clock beeping incessantly like a truck backing up, high-pitched and monotone at the same time, when I woke up and looked at the time, it was steady. 6.33. I might have tried to ignore it for a few minutes, and that's why it was 6.33 and not 6.30, sue me. It was overcast, but the sun was trying to peek through the blinds. I know that because I saw it. Everything was the way it usually was. Me not being able to haul my butt out of bed was normal too. Nothing to see here, folks, just your average Monday morning. But I did get up. I didn't hit snooze this time. I trudged across the room like the walking dead, my eyes mere slits as I made my way to the bathroom the commode, the sink, and then back into the bedroom. I sat down on the edge of the bed and put on the TV. A little news was what I needed, I thought. Other voices in the room to coax me along. The distant thought I had had last night about working out this morning was like a joke that some comedian had tried that fell flat. I had a moment to consider that I could dial my wake-up time back an hour if I was just going to let that fantasy go felt the corners of my lips twitch in the beginnings of a smile at the thought before all was blank again. I fell asleep, sitting up, remote in hand and mouth wide open. I know that because I woke up that way too. It couldn't have been long, couldn't have been. I would have fallen over or dropped the remote if it had been, right? Neither of those things had happened, so I figured it had only been a few seconds. One of those moments where you doze off are out of it so completely that you're disoriented when you wake up. I rolled onto my side, deciding to just give in, get another hour of sleep. I have a meeting in a few hours that I need to be sharp for, and I was anything but that then. I laid down, got into position to shut my eyes. That's when I saw it. The guy on camera was talking about the weather. Some storm system coming from the north that will cool temperatures and make it feel like Christmas in July. His back was turned, so I couldn't see his face, but what I did see made me sit bolt upright. His suit jacket was slit up the back, and so was his shirt. There was raw pink flesh peeking out beneath all of it. I could see a huge blister between his shoulder blades. The temperature showed on the map. At first, it was just local, but then the map expanded to the United States. 
and then to the world. It's 90 degrees Fahrenheit in Calgary, but we're working on that. Parts of the U.S. are hitting 175 degrees Fahrenheit, and temps in Nigeria topped 325 degrees Fahrenheit last night. The Seine in Paris, as well as the Canale Grande in Venice, began to boil in the early morning hours. The Nile has dried up completely, leaving lungfish and bolti to cook in the sun. My mind couldn't process the words he was saying. I was distracted by the other data that was posted in the corners and running along the bottom of the screen. Birds take flight in Florida only to burst into flames in the sky. Woman fused to her car in Leeds. Fisher opens in the ground to reveal lost ancient civilization beneath. My mouth is open. The time on the screen, the one that I usually look at to confirm that I need to get up off my butt, get in the shower and get going, was broken. The digital numbers were rolling, spinning, flying by. It was 6.45, then it was 7.22, then it was 3.14, then it was 5.58. It changed every second and it was driving me crazy. Every time I tried to look at it, pin it down, see it clearly, it was something different. And the world boiled. Do you want to go back to sleep? It might be best to stay in bed. Sleep it off and wake up dead. I looked at the weatherman, and he was looking back at me through eyes that had pushed out of their sockets to perch themselves outside of the skin. Skin that was falling away in big, wet clumps. They moved independently of each other like bug antenna, and I couldn't stop looking at them. They tipped toward me, almost like a man wearing a fedora might do his hat and greeting, Just a dream, of course. I smiled. One of them winked at me. I nodded. They say you can't die in your dreams. Well, I wish I could. I fell back into a deep sleep only to awake and experience the same scenario over and over. Maybe I'm in purgatory. Maybe I'm in hell. All I want is to sleep and to not wake up again. Thank you so much, Elmarie Wood, for writing this horrific tale of dark dreams. Have you ever been stuck in a dream state? How do you know if you're hallucinating or if what you're experiencing is actually real? R.J. Joseph is a Texas-based writer and professor, a Stoker Award-nominated writer with works published in various applauded venues. She's written our next story, Skinny Mini, which reminds us we should never judge a book by its cover. I wish I could be as skinny as you, eating like you do. Isn't the compliment folks believe it to be? It's pretty insulting for various reasons, The main one being, they never ask how I feel about my body before commenting, and it's damned rude. Don't they think I want to be curvilicious and stop traffic the way the sisters I see walking down the street do? So, eat a sandwich or something. The smart Alex say when I call them on their insensitivity. I eat a lot of sandwiches, and more. I eat everything that doesn't eat me first, like my grandma used to say. 
Man, I eat more than a pack of teenagers raiding the family fridge right after coming through the door from school. If it's high in calories, I eat it. Pizza, fried foods, bread by the loaf, pasta with all the sauce, rich desserts, ice cream by the half gallon, red meat, greasy dishes, but nothing sticks. That's because they take it. They've figured out how to siphon the food right out of my stomach without them being inside the acid-filled organ. They only leave me enough to minimally sustain my body. I don't know how many there are, but I feel them moving around all the time, full of energy from the calories. They never sleep. Sometimes I get nauseous from their constant movement inside my torso. I've only thrown up a couple of times in my whole life. It messes with my head because I can feel them constantly. They never rest or pause, but their movements don't show up on the outside of my belly. They hide in ways babies in utero can't. Perfectly evil machinations and devilment of the demented parasites they are. They've only showed themselves to me twice. First, when I tried to drink bleach to poison them, one of them broke into my stomach, blinding pain stabbing through my body, causing me to double over and fall onto the floor. It climbed up my esophagus, up through my throat, its anger apparent in the way it unnecessarily stretched the inflexible tubing on its way up and out. I tried to continue swallowing around it to gulp it down, but it used something that felt like soft rubber to block the liquid from going down the tube it had invaded so harshly. It clawed at my throat and pushed the bleach out, back into my mouth, out from between my lips. I didn't see the spiny bristles protruding from its skin that were piercing my tongue and cheeks until I threw up and the creature fell out in the pool of refuse, reeking of bleach and old spaghetti sauce. I scrambled up from my prone position and scooted backwards, watching it the whole time. Webbed appendages flapped around in the vomit like a popped balloon caught in a dog's mouth, wet and shiny, limp. The light reflected off the spikes still emerging from a slender, pink, snake-like body. It tried to move towards me, but slowed with each passing second until it came to a stop. It flopped onto its back and waved the webs frantically, a grotesque mimicry of a dying cockroach struggling to breathe through poison. It focused three empty black holes towards me. Do not do that again. It hissed through one hole, working to produce the sound. I'd never heard them speak before, not even to each other. We will always stop. You. The last hiss died away, the body deflating and melting where it lay, spikes emulsifying into a small pile of pink goo. The others wrecked havoc inside my body when it expired, apparently grieving their dead sibling. I still couldn't see their movements from outside, but I felt their frantic prodding and bucking. I wanted to vomit again, but I knew it would be useless for me to try. I could only put something into my stomach or force it out if they allowed me to. The only other time 
was after I sliced my stomach open. I wanted them out, and they evaded detection by every means doctors were willing to try before writing me off as crazy. I begged them to do something about the creatures, and they just shook their heads and gave me mental health referrals. I purchased a straight razor through the mail so they wouldn't be able to watch me purchase it in a store. I had no idea how they saw stuff, but they seemed to know when I did certain things. Before they could discover my intentions, I sliced a deep gash across my belly. My determination to get the creatures out dulled the pain. I didn't feel much until various webs came reaching out through the blood, grabbing the edges of my slick skin and pulling them roughly back into place. I felt a searing sensation and my stomach was pinched hard. Soon, the incision remained, but the bleeding stopped. One unfortunate creature hadn't been able to scramble back inside and lay on the floor. A more serene death than the last one, but dying nonetheless. We will never let you kill yourself or us. I slid to the floor, pain radiating from my perfectly sealed skin. I believed them. It would be a waste of time to go to more doctors. Even if I told them the wound was self-inflicted, they'd only keep me temporarily on a psychological hold and send me back home. The creatures would hide and relish in the feedings the hospital would make sure I got until then. I was stuck with them until they were done with me, destined to remain starved, nauseated, and skinny for the duration. My only slither of hope right now is they allow me to keep a regular diet. The other day, I felt them get excited when we were watching an operation on Grey's Anatomy. Thank you so much, R.J. Joseph, for writing this story and sharing it with us. It struck a particular chord for me, and hopefully it does for others as well. Have you ever felt like you weren't alone? Like something or someone else was inside your body with you? Sometimes what we think a person is feeling does not actually reflect what lies inside them. Sometimes it's all much worse than we could ever have imagined. Daryl and Andy had been dating for a few months now, but there was just one issue. Andy never wanted Daryl to spend the night at his apartment. Although Andy denied it, Daryl wondered if he was worried about his neighbors knowing he was gay. Whenever sunset approached, Andy would weirdly rush Daryl out of his house. One evening, Daryl asked Andy about it, and it immediately got uncomfortable. Andy's body tensed. Daryl felt a cold sweat prickling at the base of his neck, sensing Andy's annoyance. He braced himself for their first fight, as Andy's eyes turned steely and cold. But then they warmed just as fast as it had happened, and Andy calmly said, Just not tonight, babe. Maybe another time. Daryl was confused. It made him feel like he wasn't good enough, despite him being a surgeon at a hospital a few blocks away. Deflated, but thankful to have avoided their first argument, he went home. One night, after a particularly exhausting surgery, 
Daryl couldn't face the long drive home, and he thought Andy should value his safety over appearances. So he showed up at Andy's door after sundown. As he approached the door, the apartment was unusually quiet and dark. As he lifted his hand to knock, the door shot open and an icy breeze hit Daryl in the face. Andy coldly stood in the doorframe. Why are you here? He questioned quietly and intensely, as if not wanting to alert anyone else to Daryl's presence. Daryl saw the flash in Andy's eyes again. He explained he was too exhausted to drive home and didn't care if Andy didn't want the neighbors to see his gay black boyfriend coming out of the house in the morning. He just wanted to get some rest. Andy's stiff, cold stature softened and his brow unfurrowed. He stepped to the side and let Daryl in. I'm not embarrassed of you, but you must do everything exactly as I tell you, okay? It's very important to my schedule. Andy laid out the rules. Lights out at 10 p.m., no leaving the bedroom before sunrise, not even to use the bathroom, and they must sleep facing away from each other. These rules were pretty odd, but Daryl quickly fell asleep, only faintly aware that Andy was wide awake, watching him. Daryl awoke in the middle of the night, his back burning and sticky like it was bleeding. He tried to move, but he was frozen. His eyes searched for Andy as a scream stuck in his lungs. There was something holding him down and clawing at his back, making ribbons of his skin. Andy was nowhere in sight, but in the mirror next to the bed, he could make out a tall, twisted creature with knife-like nails, fiery red eyes, and a sinister smile on its face. He tried to scream, but nothing came out. Before he passed out, Daryl had a disturbing thought. The creature, it looked eerily familiar. He woke again with a start and saw Andy sitting on his knees next to Daryl's side of the bed, crying. I'm sorry. I never wanted this for you. Andy began to explain. For years, he had been possessed by a parasitic demon who contorts and morphs his body at night after the sun goes down. Thirsting for blood, it preys on those who are asleep, paralyzing them as it tears them apart. Daryl now understood why Andy never wanted him to stay past sunset. Daryl ran to the mirror to check his back, wondering why he was no longer in pain. The wounds were gone. Andy informed him, although the demon would inflict suffering during the night, somehow any evidence was gone by morning. Telling Daryl had given Andy strength, they decided they needed to do something immediately and called an exorcist who said he could come that night. Confident he could rid them of their problem, the priest strapped Andy to a chair and began an old chant. Slowly, Andy's body began to twist. His skin shriveled and darkened, Fires ignited in his eyes. The bones of his fingers pierced his skin, growing to the shape of long knives. Its sinister smile cracked in agony as the exorcist chanted. The demon let out a loud, high-pitched screech, breaking its body free of the restraints, and it leapt to his feet, growing to be nine feet tall. Yet, the unrelenting priest continued his prayer. Before anyone could act, Andy still twisted into demon form, advanced upon the priest. He drove sword-like fingers into the man's chest with a wet, squishing sound of bone-piercing skin. With this action, Andy's body returned to normal. 
Daryl rushed over to check the injury, but similar to his own disappearing wounds, the exorcist was seemingly unharmed, despite the obvious violence. The man looked at Andy for one long moment and then fled the house, slamming the door shut behind him. Daryl and Andy fell into each other's arms, unsure of what had transpired, but just relieved to be safe. They decided the next morning to go to the exorcist seminary to thank him. When they arrived, they were met with a gruesome scene. Bodies everywhere torn to shreds, blood splatter covering the walls and ceilings. The priest was never seen again, but it seemed in its new body, the demon now wasn't afraid to leave behind a bloody trail of evidence. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Janine Pipe. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you'd like to support Something Scary and all the work we do, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. And if you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet dreams.